You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 171. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. All right, let's talk about what's going on over here on my end. So National Recovery Month is in September, and so I'm going to create a storyline for us over the next um, eight or so episodes that will lead us into September's National Recovery Month. As I am preparing all the show notes for these, I'm going to be shooting them all in one day so that I can, one, have them done because there's some things I'm doing for the hub that need my attention. There are some responsibilities I have with my peer recovery support specialist um, certifications, my trainings that I did for Alabama and Tennessee. So there's a lot of things I've got going on over here on my end to get more involved in the recovery world, to grow the coaching business, to grow the recovery coaching business. I'm teaching neuro-linguistic programming with one of my peers now. and We just finished up one of those classes last week. Um, I've already had some conversations with some of you out there, my listeners. Um, a couple of you have already begun to commit to learning neuro and linguistic programming with me um, starting in October when we do our next online class. So there's a lot going on over here, and I don't want the podcast to become the part that gets left in in the wings, if you will. And so we're going to be creating a storyline over the next, again, eight or so episodes so that we can really step into what sobriety and recovery is. Something in my brain clicked at when I hit day 2000 and then day 2001, and that's what the last episode about was. It was like, at day 2001, I still very much am able to connect with day one version of Jesse. Now, this podcast is 171 episodes in, and while many of you find me and find the show and then go back and start listening at the beginning, so you're very linear with it. Um, That puts a lot of you um, listening to episodes that were two years ago. And so when you're listening to what I'm talking about, as far as what's going on in my life, you're further away from where we are today. And by no stretch do I want to impede upon you to go back and listen to the archives because there's great, great material back there. But there are also some of y'all who find it now and you're listening to five-year sober Jesse talk about addiction recovery. And I feel like I'm missing an opportunity to step back into what it's like day one, week one, month one, year one. And so these next handful of episodes, we're going to start getting into topics about what you would do in order to uh, prepare yourself for the beginning of sobriety, what you would do when you first step in to sobriety. What are some things that you're going to want to understand about yourself, to have prepared for yourself, to further deeply understand what it is you're taking on, right? How can we begin to reinstill trust and love in yourself? And how can you do this just for one minute a day? And then that grows into this ginormous, amazing habit, right? How about all the different paths to sobriety and recovery? I have a lot more information about those than I did in episode two and three, you know, four years ago. Um, This idea of one day at a time versus I'll never use again, right? A lot of people are strong proponents for one day at a time, one day at a time. 
And at the same time, what about this planning for this amazing, extraordinary future you're going to have? When you step into the beginning realization that alcohol and drugs are no longer working for you, that what was once your medicine has now become your poison. And we briefly touched upon this in episode uh, 170, the 2001 Day Sober one, about how there are the stages of recovery. There's the pre-contemplation where you don't even really think that there's a problem. Then there's the contemplation about this using vices. And again, this could be meth and heroin. It could be cocaine. We could be talking about, you know, lean, marijuana. It could be booze, vodka. It, It can be food, gambling, porn. There's so many different things that the human mind and body and and emotions will attach an addiction to that. This isn't just sobriety recovery from booze, even though that was definitely the one that stayed around the longest for me. Um, I certainly had my own pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance just for cocaine, just for LSD, just for ecstasy, just for opiates and, and just for, you know, Xanax and Valiums and Oxycontins and all these little pills that I used to drop in beers and think I was so cool. There was a process I went through to release each and every one of those, and alcohol was just the last one. So we're going to begin to step into a space where, for those of you new or for those of you who have been around for a while and you've already hit six months, a year, five years, ten years, there are other habits you're noticing in your life that are no longer serving you. And your mind and your body and your soul and your emotions are going to go through the same process to break those habits as it did to release alcohol and drugs or food or whatever it might be. That's where I feel like a disconnect is happening in this world, in this industry. We think that, you know, alcohol and drugs are these, you know, they're so difficult to break and they're so this and it's so that and you don't even know what it's like to wake up in an alley and you be at the bottom of a dumpster. And I, yeah, yeah, I absolutely could see how somebody who has lived that life I have woken up in a dumpster. I can absolutely see how someone might say, well, waking up in a dumpster off of a bunch of you know, cocaine and, and hallucinogenics and, and booze is not the same as sitting in your kitchen in the middle of the night eating five bags of potato chips. I can see how someone would not want to make that connection, how they'd want to say, no, mine is way worse than that. And if I can get sober, you can get sober. Well, I don't even like that. If I can get sober, you can get sober statement because that's somehow minimizing somebody else's addiction as not being as hard, not being as traumatic as yours. So when I, and this is something that I've I've been talking with some of my tribe members about is that, you know, we're looking for outside the box ways to really shake up what the idea of addiction recovery is. And trauma happens. We are trauma informed on this show. And that's a term that I was introduced to Uh, through the Tennessee and the Alabama um, recovery support specialist programs, that we are trauma-informed. We understand every single person on this planet has some level of trauma from their childhood, from their life, that they're seeking to heal through. And when they don't heal through it, this trauma begins to stack and stack and stack and stack. And it actually changes your behaviors. It changed my behaviors. And before you know it, you're be- the way you're behaving is based upon the trauma, not what you actually would prefer to be doing. 
And then this behavior begins to shift the way you behave in lots of areas of your life. And before you know it, you're addicted to booze, you're addicted to drugs, you're addicted to food, you're addicted to screaming at people, you're addicted to isolation, you're addicted to, you know, um, using other people, whether it be for their mind, body, money, in order to get what you want. You're addicted to manipulation. All of these things become actual behaviors that make your life feel to you like it is less than it could be, less than it should be, less than it would be if you simply changed the behavior. But our minds get locked into these habit loops. And these habit loops become extremely ingrained. It's like when you first start a new habit, perhaps it's like I am right now with the jump roping. It's not a it's not a habit, it's not a muscle memory that is very well formed yet. So the brain is starting to connect new neurons and synapses in the brain, but it's relatively fresh and new. And the more I do the jump roping, the more these myelon sheaths, the more these proteins begin to wrap around the new synapses and turn it into more of a muscle memory and more of a super highway. So picture a new habit as being like a one-lane road down a country, you know, road with trees all around it. And imagine something like addictions, you you know, drinking, being this super highway of 100 lanes. One is very well formed. There are plenty of pathways for this drinking to drive down on this super highway. Whereas this new behavior of not drinking is a one-lane road in the middle of the country of nowhere. So which do you think your brain's naturally going to feel compelled to go toward? The superhighway or the one-lane road? So it's with day after day after day that the one-lane road begins to expand. Now, if you're white-knuckling it and you're just counting days and you're not actually out there working some kind of program for yourself, unearthing the trauma, working through it, whether that's with me, another mentor, a coach, someone, this is why 12 Steps is so popular because it really instills a healing process into your trauma, uh, recovery dharma, and therefore truths. It really begins to have you journal and get some of the trauma out of your head and on paper so that you can notice it. You can begin to talk yourself through it. You can bring other people in to help you heal. This is where therapy, this is where neuro-linguistic programming, this is where the things that I teach and I do with people, this is how powerful it can be. Because you take the one lane road and you begin to add lanes. And everything in your life is this process of adding lanes. Tying your shoe or driving from your house to work is a super highway. You don't even have to think about it. I have had episodes where we talk about being tranced out. When you're tranced out, your body and your mind is just going through a series of habits. It doesn't even have to think about it. That's why you don't remember tying your shoes. You don't remember getting to work. You're like, did I stop at all the red lights? Did I run everybody off the road? Did I ram cars into ditches? No, because that's not the habit. The habit is drive yourself safely to your destination. You would remember if you ran somebody off the road. So the fact that you don't remember is a sign to you that you're in trance mode, that you were on one of these 100 lane super highways of your mind right? That habit is so ingrained. There's tons of these myelin protein sheaths wrapped around the synapses. You didn't have to think about it. And this is what's happening to you when you step into your addiction, right? Something cues it off, 
right? You have a bad day. Somebody gives you side eye. I mean, let's face it. By the time we start to get to, to the, that really contemplation and preparation phase to release the addiction, to step into a new version of ourselves, it's anything can cue off the behavior. Honestly, it's sunny out, got a drink. It's cloudy out, got a drink. The dog pissed on the floor, got a drink. The dog went outside to piss, got a drink. Oh, look, my marker smells like cherry, got a drink. My watch says 11-11, got a drink. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, got a drink. It doesn't matter at some point what the cue is. The cue is everything because your mind is just looking for a way to get itself back to being drunk, back to being high. Because it doesn't want to think about your life. It doesn't want to think about your finances. It doesn't want to think about anything at all. So fuck like it, let's just turn ourselves off. And we know how to turn ourselves off. We just got to pick up that bottle. And that's where our elixir of life is. But we know it's not our elixir of life because it has been poisoning us for years and years and years and years. There are those that are so wealthy or so powerful that they don't necessarily recognize the addiction for what it is because their bank account has a ton of zeros in it. They live in beautiful mansions and, and they have an extravagant life. And they may not even notice that it's destroying their relationships. They may not even care because they're comfortable. They've got money. They don't have to worry about that aspect of their life. But I'll be the first to tell you, having lived in Los Angeles, that even the richest of the rich are are tortured within. That's why we give, it's almost like, it's, it's almost laughable to me how much we want to laud a celebrity for getting sober and, and plaster their face. Way to go, Robert Downey Jr. Way to go, Rob Lowe. Way to go, this person and that person. They're just normal people like us who happen to have a, a skill that allows them to be paid exorbitant amounts of money. That it doesn't mean that they know how to understand their emotions any better than us doesn't mean that they're any better as a human being than us. God, trust me, I have been on plenty of sets and met plenty of people with a ton of zeros who are just assholes. And I'm like, you don't deserve the wealth that you have accrued. And if your fans knew who you really were, they wouldn't want to be your they wouldn't want to be supporting you anymore. But there's a facade that is laid out around society that with money and a charming smile, you must be a good human. And I think we've known plenty of people in our own community who might have just a few more zeros than us and a charming, more charming smile than we perceive ourselves having that we might pedestal. But if we were to get to know them, we would see the chinks in their armor because we're all humans. There's a fallibility to all of us. We're not going to have a perfect day every day. We're not always going to smile the right way to everyone. And we're certainly not going to treat everybody the way that they would prefer to be treated because most of the time we don't even know how to treat ourselves with love and compassion. If we can't even treat ourselves with love and compassion, how do we expect to go out there and exude love and compassion towards others? So when we go into episodes about how to talk to yourself, the six major negative emotions that will be coming at you, like how do you really want to heal? Right, I, I talked to a listener recently, and one of the revelations she had at the end was that she doesn't have to change everything in her life today. She can pick one thing and make that the focus today. For her, it was um, reestablishing a strong connection with her daughter. 
and sitting down and coming up with fun things to do and then going off and doing the fun things, regardless if she was tired from work, regardless if she was stressed out about her finances, regardless if she was, you know, questioning certain aspects of her life. Today, she was going to establish a strong connection with her daughter and she was going to do loving, awesome things with her daughter in order for her daughter to go to bed and understand and feel in whatever way her daughter would feel the love that she has for her, right? This was important to her. And being able to understand that within yourself, right? And say, okay, I'm not looking to, you know, completely blow this whole thing up. You are going to reestablish a life for yourself. You're absolutely positively going to be remodeling your own mansion of your life. Right, and I have the spheres, the career, the the self, the relationships. We've talked about the quadrants: physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. We've discussed the zones: mindset, biochemical, environmental, physical, emotional. We've discussed these, and we're going to be bringing them back out again because I'm still noticing some questions coming at me about how am I supposed to fix everything today? And you do not have to fix everything today. In fact, I don't even know how that would be possible. I just don't. Unless you could somehow freeze time and fix everything, then that's not even possible because you need other humans in order to begin to, quote-unquote, fix what you think is broken. But is anything actually broken? Is it just bruised? Is it just not benefiting you the way that it could be, and now you can start to shift? And even the words like could and would and should, we're going to start talking about conflict versus architect languages again. Right, would, could, should. These are conflictatory messages you're sending to your brain. Where it could be can, will, and shall. I shall do this moving forward. Right? It's like the the statement I taught you guys a, a couple weeks ago. Wow, life is humbling. I will be more present moving forward. Right? It's not I should be more present. Oh, I would be more present if not for this. I could be more present, but you know about this. It's simply, wow, life is humbling. I will be more present moving forward. I can be more present moving forward. I will be paying attention moving forward. I shall be gentle upon myself as I can and will be more present moving forward. That's architect language. That's how you're building yourself up. These limiting beliefs that you have in your head, these motor and emotional, these mental habits that you've created, all of this is just habit structure. It's just the way that the brain is literally creating your life. You think you're creating your life. What you're actually doing is you're choosing your habits and that creates your life. So to me, I don't think that alcohol and drug use is any uh, different when it comes to how the brain is compartmentalizing those habits as it would be for how you drive, um, how you emotionally feel towards others, how you communicate, um, what time of day you eat dinner. Like It's all habits that your brain has formed in order for it to do a lot less heavy lifting to get you through each day. It just wants to keep you surviving. The brain wants you to live. So it's obviously turned breathing into habits. It's turned things into habits that it, for tens of thousands of years, it has established these habits so that most brains are just like, well, we know how to keep you alive. We're going to keep you breathing and we're going to keep you moving. All right. What else can we do today? 
when you start to put alcohol and drugs and food and sex and porn and gambling in, and that's muting emotions, emotions feel negative. Emotions can cause anxiety. Emotions can cause stress. Emotions can cause fear and shame and guilt. And your mind and your body may not necessarily want to feel those things because those things can hurt the way you've internalized fear, guilt, shame, sadness, pain that can hurt. So what's the body looking to do? It's looking to be able to mute those negative emotions. One of the best ways to mute negative emotions is to, is to start to change the way that your brain currently feels, your body currently feels in the moment. If alcohol and drugs just never existed, we would have figured out other things to do, perhaps to mute those emotions, or perhaps from a long time ago, we'd have just figured out it's better to talk through it and heal through it leaving the pain in the past where it belongs with that memory and bringing the lesson forward. But the mind and the body and the brain and human society and and the the whole construction that we have of life have, have created these vices that we have turned into poison. So as we move through these and we start discussing the changes and how you're going to get better and how you can begin to see your life as this mansion and begin to go into each room, one of the rooms might be your stepkids. One of these rooms might be your um, your partner who you've had a, a you know a difficult time with over the last few years as you have gotten sober and you've been and they've been learning how to be around a new version of you. One of these rooms could be your physical body and and how you're fifty pounds overweight and you want to lose some release some weight so that you can feel uh, like a a more powerful version of yourself. You know, one of these rooms could be how you um, interact with your boss or your coworkers. One of these rooms could be the cleanliness of your bedroom. Like these different rooms in your mansion of life can be anything that you want them to be. And having this this weird, you know, idolized version of you that somehow can just tackle all of them in one day and snap your fingers and have it be over with is ridiculous. We didn't get ourselves into this mess. We didn't create this life in one day. We're not going to magically repair it and remodel it in one day. It is a process. One of the coolest things that I have realized about myself in this journey, and there was definitely a part of me that when I first started this podcast, when I first started this stuff, I thought, do I, I really want to build an entire life around talking about addiction recovery? Like, am I even going to care when I hit year five or six uh, about, you know, addiction recovery, or am I just going to have been, become a new person? Right, I'm I'm just the person who sees alcohol and ignores it. I'm just the person who, you know, uh, there's alcohol in my house because I date somebody who enjoys beer. It doesn't bother me. I don't even see it. It exists. It's in the refrigerator, but it's not. It's like my brain. It's like it's fuzzed it out, like the Black Mirror episode where you could just turn people into like red blurry dots so you don't even see them. Like it doesn't even exist to me, but it's there. So I have thought back at year one and two before I started this show, is this something I'm really going to find exciting? Something that I'm still you know, loving to talk about? Something I still want to be fully immersed in? And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how you keep that fire and how you keep that flame. So the podcast began to come out. People began to reach out. Social media was fun for the first couple years of it. And then I, you know, then I became a recovery coach and learned neuro-linguistic programming, and now I'm a recovery support specialist. Now I interview people, and I've got a tribe, and I've got the hub, and there's all these amazing ways that I have just 
allowed myself to step into this world of addiction recovery and continue to find it fascinating. I've come across some accounts on Instagram recently where they've talked about how like, hey, you know, I've got, I've got some years under my belt and I don't necessarily need this account to, you know, has accountability anymore. I don't necessarily want every conversation I have every day to be about addiction recovery. I don't want to keep reliving these old experiences from my past that I just no longer feel the need to bring about. And for some of y'all, yes, there is going to be this desire to leave those memories behind. I have my way of, of, of working with my memories. I, I actually enjoy laughing with my friends about some of the stupid things that Apocalypse Jesse used to do. I still find a lot of hilarity in that behavior because it's who I was then. It's not who I am now. I don't see the blacking out in Indonesia and waking up in Singapore, or blacking out in some Belgium forest, or waking up in the dumpster as, as sad and heartbreaking like I used to. I just now see it as a version of me that created this version of me. And I like this version of me. I love this version of me. And yeah, I absolutely think I could have been Dan Patrick or Rich Eisen or Bob Costas or Al Michaels had I stayed going my path in college and become a sports reporter. I absolutely think I could have achieved that. But that's not what this life created for me. It's not what my habits created for me because I wasn't aware of how my, crea- my habits were creating my life when I was in my 20s and 30s. Now you all have been listening to this show for four years now, and you absolutely are understanding how your mind and your habits are creating the life that you have. And you also understand that you can choose your habits. So we're going to be talking about all of this and more. And that's really the crux of this entire show. Because I was sitting here creating this today, and I just banked eight episodes of the college show. And so there's so many more episodes I need to bank for the sobriety show. And I was like, man, this is going to take me some more time. I probably have at least another 10, 15 hours of just organizing show notes before I can even begin to record these. Then the, then the thought of the next episode coming out till next week was like, well, now I, I can't just go a week without talking to y'all. So this is really just a check-in. And for some of you, this is a good review. And so for some of you, it's a waste of 30 minutes of your life. I could go either way, really. I think besides just checking in with you all and letting you know what was going on my end and just all these different you know synapses that are connecting and all these different things that I'm thinking about, it's that you know I've gotten a little bit more involved in social media recently, just reading over what other people are talking about and when it comes to addiction recovery. And there's the people who are no longer wanting to talk about their addiction and no longer wanting to talk about that behavior as if they're afraid if they talk about it, it keeps it real. It keeps it alive. Then there's those people who almost romanticized who they were and how they used to behave. As if they are, they're, they're reluctantly sober now, but boy, oh boy, if only they could have figured out a way to make it work, they'd have kept going on with that behavior. And there's the people who talk about it in a way that it's a learning opportunity. It's a learning experience. It's neither romanticized nor needing to be forgotten. It's just simply a version of them that existed then. I feel like I, I'm, I'm, I am drawn and I have been behaving like the person, the third one I just mentioned, that it's just a version of me that once existed. It's just a version of me that was there then and is no longer now. As if each year of my life is a season of a TV show 
And like friends, I love friends. If I'm feeling happy or sad or anxiety or calm, it's one of those things that I feel like anytime I turn on, I just feel connected, even though it's a TV show. And those, you know, while I did meet about half of the cast at some point while I lived in Los Angeles, by no means you know, do these people know me. I don't know them. When I turn on friends, there's something about that show that just makes me feel warm and comfortable. And when I think about my life, I, I see it as like the, that show. I can go back and I can watch episodes and I can and remember when I first saw the episode or I can remember all the times I've seen that episode. But the episode's old. It's, it's from years ago, from years ago. And when I go back and I look at, you know, year 25 or year 27, that was, that, that was the 27th season of the Jesse Mogul show. And now we're in the 46th season of the Jesse Mogul show. If I go back to the 27th season of the Jesse Mogul show and I see the way I was behaving, the way I was acting, the way I was living my life then, and then I come back up to the 46th season of the Jesse Mogul show and realize there's still some of those behaviors that I'm utilizing, that I'm still using on a regular basis, but they no longer are serving me, then it's time to shift those habits as well. Yes, I don't drink or do drugs anymore. I have not been intoxicated in... 2008 days. It does not mean every aspect of my life is where I would prefer it to be. The more desirable version of me is not showing up every single place that I would like it to be. Got into a pretty big argument with the girlfriend yesterday over something that really shouldn't have mattered to either one of us, but we dug in and it turned into a big blowout. So then it became a really amazing opportunity later on that night to talk through some of the ways that we treat each other and talk to each other. And it's just another episode of of my Jesse Mogul show where I get to walk away, right? It's like, wow, we had a huge blow up. And at the end, we didn't have, you know, that sort of serendipitous happy ending that all sitcoms finish off with. But we certainly had a very connective moment where we understood that the other one has emotions. They will be expressed the way that they are and that we are now more connected from having that blow up and then being able to talk about it afterwards. Back in the day, I would have held a grudge. I wouldn't have talked about it. I'd have been pissed off for two, three, four days, and then we would have just swept it under the rug, but I really wouldn't have swept it under the rug. So I'm able to look at how I behaved just in the 45th season of the Jesse Mogul show or the 46th season, you know, episode two. So in this whole metaphor I'm using now, imagine that like each week um, or each day even of your birth year could be an episode. So right now I'm, you know, at the 46th season, um, you know, and because my birthday was June 15th and we're at the, I think July 15th right now, this could be technically episode 30 for each day, or it could be episode four for each week. I don't want to get you too lost in the metaphor, but when I compartmentalize what I do and my, my P4F lists are in my notes on my computer. I can go back and look at what my priority and what my focuses are for each and every day. This is how I stay organized and I'm able to create, I'm able to connect and I'm able to achieve the things that I do by being very well organized on each of my days about what it is I seek to accomplish. Some days that might be raking the leaves and then sitting on the couch and watching the Tour de France for four hours, but I put it down so later on this year I can go back and say, what was I doing on July 7th? What was I doing on May 12th? 
oh, wow, that's really cool. I did that. I love going back and reviewing those. It's like having handwritten calendars, but it's digital. So I can add in a bunch of cool notes and I can, and, and I use it as a journal. Like, oh, today I, we went to the aquarium and it was so cool. We did this and this, and then we walked to this restaurant and then we found this really cute cupcake fa- factory and we ate a bunch of cupcakes and then we, you know, took a nice little stroll through downtown Chattanooga. It becomes a journal for me all built around the things that I was seeking to accomplish that day. So we're going to talk to you guys about how perhaps you can start to organize your days, how you can start to utilize journaling in a different way than sitting down and saying, I'm going to write three pages of notes about what I'm thinking or feeling today. Because I know for me, that's not that easy. But whenever I start to talk about what it was I was doing that day in my calendar, next thing I know, I'm typing away and it's like, wow, I just created a really awesome journal entry. And all I was doing was just discussing the Chattanooga Aquarium. When you start to look at your life, and again, you can choose this this or not, it has like these seasons of you. I don't go back to season 27 or season 21 or season 18 with sadness anymore. I go back and I watch them, you know, through a dissociated viewpoint. Like I'm watching me do that stuff. I'm not going back through an associated viewpoint where I'm experiencing the using and the sadness and the trauma through my own eyes. I go back and I see these memories as something I'm watching like a show. Right? It's very interesting to me how so often we'll go back to our traumatic times in our lives and we'll experience them again through our own eyes. That just further instills the trauma. And in LP, we are taught that when you dissociate from the memory, when you step outside of yourself and you actually watch yourself in that memory rather than being in the memory, it actually begins to uh, take away some of the traumatic feelings. Because no, it's no longer you experiencing that moment. It's a version of you watching you experience that moment. It's very powerful. It's one of my favorite things that I've taught to the tribe is to step outside of the memory and just watch yourself in it. This is how I'm able to go back to year 18, 21, 25 and not feel sadness or heartbreak or not feel triggered to go back and use because I watch my memories as if they're a TV show. I know I lived it. I don't need to go back in and relive it. Now, if it's a great memory going on a roller coaster, if it's a great memory like, you know, my seventh birthday or something like that, then absolutely I'll step into that seven-year-old version of myself and experience that moment all over again through my, uh, through my own eyes as a seven-year-old. Some of my friends love to comment on how I have this enthusiasm for life. They're like, dude, you're just, your you're enthusiasm for life, it's almost childlike in how you can just find excitement in just the most little mundane things. This is how I do it. Whenever it, when somebody's telling me a story about how they take a bunch of kids at their school on a field trip, I, I step into that, that visualization. I step into that daydream as if I was that seven-year-old kid who just got to go, you know, um, you know, meet a koala bear for the first time. And how cool that must be to, to see a koala bear and to be able to touch the koala bear's paws and feed the koala bear bamboo. I, I guess bamboos are what pandas eat. Let's not get lost in the example here, but I can step into those happy memories and I can, it's like I get to experience it through the childlike wonder that I used to have in those moments when I was that age. 
One of the things I'm looking forward to the most is being around for the Christmas holidays when I get to watch these two, three, five-year-old kids experience you know, Santa and all that amazing stuff. And I get to sit there and it's like I can visualize what it would have been like for me when I was that age. I can close my eyes. I can step into their bodies in my mind and say, wow, how amazing that must be to rip open paper and see a toy that you've been wanting for months right then and there in your lap. How awesome can that be? When you take them to the parks and they get to ride a, you know, a llama or they get to ride a little donkey, I'm like, wow, how fascinating that was when I got to do that the first time. I step into the good memories and I relive them through my own eyes. And I step out of the bad memories and I watch myself experiencing those so I can take in the lesson. What was that lesson that was supposed to be taught to me in that moment? Because there's a lesson in everything in life. Perhaps the lesson is just that you were young, you didn't know any better. You were just trying to heal your trauma any way I possibly could. That was how you chose to heal your trauma then, but now you're wiser and you're older and you're utilizing new techniques in order to heal your trauma now. And I can take some comfort, some solace in the fact that while I'm not thrilled that at 22, I thought burying my face in a plate of blow was the way to overcome my sadness about my parents' divorce, I certainly can now be a human who realizes that when other sad, traumatic things happen with me, to me, around me, that I have other opportunities to heal. I have other opportunities to connect with people. And I don't have to, you know, step outside my body when sad things happen anymore. I actually can just be in my body. I can experience it for what it is. I can take the lesson, leaving the sadness and the trauma back there with the memory and bringing the teaching up with me, knowing that I have the strength inside of me to handle anything that the world could possibly throw at me. If I just stop long enough to not let the monkey mind, to not let the reptilian brain send me down an emotional pathway that I've been down so many times before, it's a 5,000 lane superhighway. Addiction recovery, to me, has its profound complexities as for how it was evolved within us. But at the basic nature of it, it is just a series of habits that we have created around something in our life that was meant to bring us to one destination and over the course of time began to take us to another destination. That first drop of alcohol on your lips, the first time you did drugs, did not immediately make you an addict. It did not take you down the path of damn near homelessness or financial ruin or your relationships falling apart. At first, it was like any other new thing. It was fun. It was innocent. You were just screwing around. But day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe even decade after decade, it began to whittle away at our life. It began to dissolve who we were. It began to shift our behavior so we would look back one day and we wouldn't even understand who the fuck we were. I'm still discovering who I am. Because instead of noticing these things and growing these things in my teens and 20s and 30s, I chose to mute them with alcohol and drugs. So there's still some times where I'm like, is this even how I want to behave? Like, this is how I used to behave, but is this how I want to behave now? Like, maybe I'll be more understanding about people with different values and beliefs and opinions. Because I don't know what life they've led. I have no idea what has led them to doing this behavior in front of me right now on the TV or in person or over the radio or whatever it might be. I have no idea what this happened in this person's life. I don't want to be judged for all of the ways that I necessarily wasn't doing things quote-unquote right. So why am I going to judge other people? 
So they talk differently. They dress differently. Sure, I might find some of their behavior abhorrent. I might be like, seriously, this is how you want to walk through life? But I have no idea how they have experienced the world around them to now judge them based on how they are experiencing the world around them. That is, it is asinine to me. I have woken up at the depths of hell and been judged for it and felt more isolated and more alone. So I, instead of coming out of the addiction, I just got deeper into it. So we're going to have, so, and I'm, I'm not going to say any of y'all are doing this, but somewhere around there, look around and just, and notice how you see people judge. And it's like, it's like the little, it's like the, I can remember very vividly in my head, there, there was this one woman at the bar I used to frequent in Gainesville who would ask for a cigarette and then break it. And then she'd be like, see, she's like, I'm, I'm saving your life. I just, you know, because that's one less cigarette you'll smoke. And I was like, no, it's not. It's now one more cigarette I have to buy because you breaking my cigarettes isn't just going to magically make me go, whoa, you know what? That's a great idea. I think I'll just break all my cigarettes and never smoke again. No, no, that's not how it worked. Putting rotten lungs on a cigarette pack isn't going to make me quit any more than breaking them in front of me is going to magically make me say, well, you're right. I have one less cigarette. When this pack is empty, I will no longer smoke again. No, she's judging my behavior because, and she's got this preconceived idea that if I just break everybody's cigarettes, they'll just magically quit, which was stupid to begin with. Just made me buy more. That was one less cigarette I could smoke before I got to go over to the pick and save and buy another pack. So she was judging. She thought she was trying to help or she was just being a smart ass. Could go either way, I suppose. And now we see people still doing that. Oh, I'm going to judge you because maybe if I judge you harshly enough, you'll feel shitty enough that you'll change so I can tolerate your existence in my life, in this world. The fuck kind of mindset is that, guys? Maybe if I talk shit about you enough behind your back or to your face, you'll feel shitty enough about yourself that you'll finally change so I can even tolerate your existence in my life. If you notice that there's people around you behaving like that, you got to stop on a dime and say, let's figure out this Judgy McJudgerson stuff. Because judging somebody harshly, being mean to them because their behavior wasn't what you wanted it to be then, or wasn't what you want it to be now. And you think, if, I, don't know what, I don't know what people think. If I'm cruel enough and mean enough and assholey enough to this person, they'll be so afraid to lose me in their life that they will change. And then not only will they change, but they'll be so grateful. They'll be so happy. They'll be so happy. And now I'm dancing around my office like I'm just prancing a little unicorn, dancing on rainbows. Thank you for being such a dick to me that you made me realize that exactly what you want me to be is what I'm going to be now. And now life is happy because you forced me to change rather than sitting down and having a conscious, communicative conversation with me about what it is you're observing and experiencing and allowing me the space to let you know what I'm observing and experiencing. And then we're building a bridge toward one another. Because trying to build a wall around somebody behind them so that they can't get away from you, so you can just ferociously come down upon them, and then magically making them, them yourself think that this behavior is, well, it might change the way the other person behaves. It may not necessarily get you the kind of response, the kind of outcome that you want. 
If you have somebody in your life that's been addicted for years and years and years, and you think ostracizing them from the family, talking shit about them behind their back at family events, around friends, around the school system, if you think that tearing them down behind their back, or even to their face, either way, is going to somehow magically make them want to change their reality, it won't. You could leave them isolated. You could leave them feeling even more lost and alone, which lost and alone and isolated was how we got into the addiction to begin with. It's not the only way, but it's certainly a very clear, definitive way that it's occurred. So now we're going to isolate them. We're going to ostracize them. We're going to make them feel alone, worthless, like a piece of shit. And literally the feelings that we all felt at some point in our life from the trauma we felt that got us into addiction. So now now people think if they replicate that behavior, (laughs) it's somehow going to evoke a different response by the addict, by the person in addiction recovery, by the person stepping into their sobriety. When connection and love and compassion and empathy, those were the things we didn't feel then that we wanted to feel. So what if we started to feel them now? How different could our lives be created from this moment forward? Addiction, recovery, sobriety, everything in this this world of ours, it's not something that we can do alone. We need the the quote-unquote normies, the people who don't, suffer from alcohol addiction or drug addiction. We need them to begin to shift their behaviors just as much as we are seeking to shift our behaviors. And I truly believe every human is addicted to something. Every human is addicted to something. It could be automatic negative thoughts. It could be um, emotionally triggered moments that cause us to scream at one another. It could be uh, isolating. It could be ignoring other people. It could be people-pleasing. Yeah, I I get it. Some of these that I've just rattled off may not seem nearly as bad as heroin or meth, but it can still lead somebody to creating a life that they find less desirable. Yeah, they don't have track marks. They didn't end up, you know, at a methadone clinic. I get it. I get it. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, certain addictions, they are way more obvious. They are way more apparent to society as things that destroy but our society has, has been having issues for years around mental health awareness, around um, helping those who are struggling, around having open, honest conversations. Racism and sexism and misogyny and ageism and all these isms that exist out there are ways that we've actually been isolating ourselves from one another and not building bridges toward one another. And they can be just as debilitating to a society as drug and alcohol addiction. Left unchecked, they can deteriorate us at our core. And then we look generations down the line and we look back and we wonder, how did we get here? Because we weren't being self-aware while we were on the journey to there. Addiction recovery isn't just stopping using. It's not just going to a bunch of meetings and now getting addicted going meetings. It's not just getting addicted to various religious books. It's a whole thing. Addiction recovery is a whole thing. I'm a strong proponent for religious books if that's what you're into. (laughs) Go for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. You found something that you were curious about and it became an interest and it turned into a passion. And hell, maybe even at this point it's your purpose. Great! 
Great, maybe it's physical development. Maybe you're a personal trainer and you realize that, you know, when you take control of your body, you take control of your life, a la Shanti. Great, great. Whatever you decide to step into whenever you move into sobriety and recovery is great for you if it's working for you. And be okay with other people having a different opinion about it. That's the coolest thing about the tribe. There's some that are super into religion, others that aren't religious at all. And yet they have the most amazing conversations because they realize that what's working for you is great for you. I get hesitant when I get on the soapbox sometimes because I'm not trying to preach to anybody and make you change. You're going to do whatever you want with all of this information. And at this point, it is just cons- it's, it's just conscious stream of thought ramblings here. This is not at all what the episode is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be 20 minutes and then off the mic and, and move on to creating more episodes. But for some reason today, I feel compelled to just like pump us up and let us realize that like we are surrounded by people who are in pain just as much as we're in pain. There's trauma that they are suffering through that they are not healing. Just like we have traumas that we have either suffered through and healed from or still working our way through. But either way, we're all out here. We're all like these little isolated children who just want someone to hear us. We just want someone to love us. We just want to know that we're not alone. And every single day when you step out into this world as someone in addiction recovery or someone new to sobriety or contemplating and preparing for sobriety, wherever you're at in your stage of recovery, you have the opportunity to start creating the world you want to experience within the world that you are experiencing. If you want people to treat you with kindness and empathy and compassion and love, then you can do the same. Even if somebody cuts you off, even if somebody flips you off, even if somebody steps in front of you at the line because they think that they're more important than you and so they got to check out from their groceries first, even if somebody eats the last piece of cake, or even if somebody talks shit behind your back at school, whatever it might be, you do not have to behave the way that they just behaved towards you, in front of you, or around you, or behind your back. You don't have to behave that way. Life can be humbling sometimes. You will be more present moving forward. Does that mean being more present to somebody else's, um, their pain? Yeah, I get it. Some of you are like, nah, man, I'm not going to let myself get walked all over. I ain't going to be a little bitch. I'm going to fucking make sure I stand up for myself because I'm tired of being steamrolled by the world. Yeah, yeah, I get it. There has definitely been some steamrolling in our world. But two rights aren't making a wrong. I mean, that's something that we've heard since we were kids. You're not a little bitch because you allow life to be humbling sometimes and you seek to, to be more present moving forward. You're not a little bitch if somebody wants to be mean to you and you aren't immediately reactive and mean back to them. That's a limiting belief. That's a mindset somebody instilled in you or you watch get you know played out so many times you turn that into a habit loop. That does not have to be the reality. Yeah, it sucks whenever you are consistently the bigger person and somebody else isn't even putting effort to step into being the bigger person. But you have to ask yourself, what life are you seeking to lead for yourself? Not what life other people are leading themselves through around you. You get to create your life. You get to go have heartfelt conversations with people that you may have been ignoring in your household or framing as this, that, or the other in your household. And you get to sit down one night at the dinner table with them and say, hey, you know, I think this is how I've been behaving. This is what I've observed myself behaving has over the last few years. Uh, I just don't think that that's 
that no longer is working for me. From now on, I'm going to start treating you this way. From now on, I'm going to start listening this way. From now on, I'm going to start participating this way. And I hope that you're willing to get on board. I hope that you're open to these new ideas I have because I'm not doing this to make myself self-important or I'm not delusional about the kind of relationship that we've had, but I'm certainly ready to step into a new relationship now. And it's gonna, there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some times where neither one of us know how to interact with one another. And that's the beautiful thing about life is each time we step into a moment like that, we figured out just a little bit more. Life is a series of habits. You are not creating your life as much as you are choosing your habits and those habits are creating your life. This show is about exposing you to those habits and how you're creating them and now you have the choice to make a decision. Will you choose a different path today because compared to yesterday? Will you be self-aware to understand that maybe this path has been working for you and will continue and so you continue down that path? Or maybe you're self-aware enough to realize this path has been leading you astray and it's no longer working for you. And so now you're going to stop and you're going to take a different fork in the road. I can't be there when you're experiencing these things to know which one is which. You are in charge of you. I can just elicit emotions in you. I can just talk about enough things that you start to visualize things in your head. You start to hear yourself talking differently. You start to feel things differently. And next thing you know, one day becomes 10 days, becomes 20 days, and boom, season, the next season and the next season and the next season of your own show is more powerful and more intense. And it's not one of those shows like Desperate Housewives or Grey's Anatomy where you're like, seriously, episode, you know, 4 million, you're, we're seriously on season 23 of this, like cancel the damn show already. We're not canceling your show. Your show has been signed to a lifetime contract. And let's make that life be 80, 90 years. Let's make it be fulfilling. Let's step into a version of ourselves right now, today, that will seek to unearth and dig through and scrounge through and pull everything it needs to out of our closet of life to make sure that there's no skeletons in there that we are at least not comfortable enough seeing and saying, eh, yeah, I did that one during season 25, but season 46, that version of me no longer exists. Cool to see a skeleton go back up on the shelf. You are creating your own life in your head as you listen to this show. What you do with the information once I say goodbye is all up to you. Keep coming back because we have some amazing topics coming up leading us to National Recovery Month. I appreciate this. I, again, did not mean to go um, all inspirational, motivational soapbox Jesse uh, on episode 171. Um, Here we go again. I love you all. Every single one of you, I appreciate whether you're in the tribe or you're in the hub or you're just a listener who hits me up once in, t- once in a while on social media, or if you're somebody who's 171 episodes in and has never said hello at all, all of you matter. All of you are important. I'm so blessed to have you along this ride for me. My enthusiasm and jubilation and excitement for sobriety and recovery has not waned. I do not understand how it could begin to wane. There's new topics for episodes. There's new things to discuss. Every single week, I'm being introduced to something. If anything, I need to open up my awareness to how many topics are being introduced to me. And one of the coolest things I will start doing moving forward at the end, you know, going 
deeper into this uh, as we near 200 is going to be introducing you to some of the most powerful people that I have met in this world and just allowing you to hear some other voices for what it is that they're doing that is groundbreaking because that's what the book is going to be about that comes out next year is going to be about groundbreaking ways to experience sobriety and recovery in a way that we just have never even thought about it before. The, the usual stuff has been great, and it has certainly helped you know, millions and millions of people. But we're moving into a new world where people want different experiences. And how can we evoke those experiences in someone so that they can live their best life? Whatever your best life is for you, that's for you to decide. I can just introduce you to as many tools that have helped me and the others around me to fulfill versions of their best life. And then you go off and and you utilize the tools as you utilize the tools. I can show you how to use the screwdriver and the nail gun, but you're in charge of building your life. You don't have to remodel every single room in one day. Some days just looking in the mirror and saying you are worthy is enough remodeling the rest of that day. So hit end on this when this episode's done and go look in the mirror And say something nice to yourself today. And then turn around and find somebody else in your life and say something nice to them. If we could just pay all that forward, God knows where we could end up. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye. 